everybody, it's Joe Power Farms, the ladies working dog group. Are you feeling stuck with your gun dog training? Trust me, you're not alone and that's exactly why you need to be here. Every week, we're bringing you the best tips and hacks to make training your gun dog easy peasy. We'll keep it straightforward, no fuss, just actionable guidance that you can put straight to use. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Found It, Fetched It. This week, we are going to be talking about putting your gun dog first about how it's important to love them like family, but still train them like a working dog. Joining me for today's podcast are some of our amazing LWDG group experts, Claire Denya from Family Dog Services, Gemma Martin from Whistle and Wag, and Samantha Thorncroft taylor from Languedoc Gun Dogs. How are we all today, ladies? Fabulous, thank you, Joe. Very good, thanks, Joe. Yeah, really good, thanks, Joe. Wonderful. Now, I know this is going to be one of our not heated debates, but it's one of these discussions that we like to have because we see so much, I'm going to say the word, nonsense on the internet about how we should be treating our dogs. And I think a lot of people are getting misguided and misinformed. We talk loads about you don't know what you don't know, and nobody sets out intentionally to go the wrong way with a gun dog. But sometimes it happens to what we read rather than what we learn. So let's start with talking about, let, let's talk about the, the bond we have with our pet gun dogs. They are incredibly strong bonds, aren't they? So I look at the relationship I have with my three Labradors and it is a very strong bond and they want to know what we're doing when we're out they're not interested in other people or in other dogs they just want to know what we're doing um and I give them purpose in their life and I think that's where a lot of that comes from so the way that I bring them up from puppyhood through their training into adulthood um, I'm trying to ensure that I'm meeting their needs as a dog, as a breed, um, and setting really good foundational rules and boundaries so that they understand how to fit in with my lifestyle, but making sure that I am fulfilling their needs as a dog and breed specifically as well. So for me, yeah, there, there's an amazing bond there, but I think that bond is built through a level of trust and training um, and through knowing what the dog is and what its needs are. And Claire's right, you, you can't work a dog unless you've got a really good bond with it because obviously we need to give them a fairly high level of trust when we're out on a shooting field or whatever that they're going to listen to us and work with us and do sort of what we want to do as a partnership rather than them running right and doing whatever they want. But that that relationship needs to be built on a sort of foundation of of boundaries and sort of trust mutual trust a lot of our clients say but oh but my dog loves me dogs don't experience love in the same way that we do dogs do whatever is beneficial for them and because we give them loads of stuff that is rewarding for them so working them hunting them you know, rewarding all the good behaviours that we get from them, being around us becomes valuable to the dogs. And although we perceive it as love, and I'm just as bad, I go, oh, my dogs love me and we have cuddles and it's brilliant and blah. They don't love me. They love what I do for them and they love what I provide for them um, because it's beneficial to them. And I think sometimes we get a little bit 
mixed up with our human emotions and applying them to dogs. So yes, it is a bond, but it's a bond based on what works for the dog and us providing those things for the dog. Yeah, and I think it's important that you've got like a, a mutual respect as well. So you've got that trust, you've got that fulfilling relationship, but also you respect that your dog is a dog and therefore you need to fulfill all of its needs um, and requirements. But also it respects that you are the confident leader within the relationship so you know it's it's having that balance between each other um you know all my dogs they they mean the world to me as i know joe yours Gemma's, and claire's they all mean the world to theirs as well um but you know you've got the ability built on that mutual trust built on those solid foundations that at the end of the day if you ask your dog to do something it will ultimately understand that you're asking it to do it for the benefit of its own good, not just because you're stubborn and, and pig-headed as an owner. Like how much is too much? That's like a really good question to have. And when do we go from looking after them to pampering them? And I, th- I think this, a lot of this comes down to experience, knowing what the dog is, understanding the breed, um, and getting off on a right foot um, from day one and we've talked about this sort of thing on other podcasts before where we've sort of said that sometimes people will be advised to let the dog be a puppy or let the dog be a dog because it's so young but most of the dogs that um, the ladies in our membership and, and the majority of my clients dogs live in the home so they have to have rules and boundaries put in from day one. It can't wait until they're five or six months of age and then start putting that stuff in. It has to start from eight weeks of age. When that puppy comes into your home, you have to show it how to fit in with our lives, how to fit in with society, how to be a sociable, well-mannered dog you don't let it run a riot for the first sort of eight weeks. So until they hit 16 weeks of age where they're going into adolescence and then you've got a thug on your hands. But I think it's misinterpretation perhaps of advice and wrong advice as well. So a combination of two things, misinterpretation of advice, but equally wrong advice. Like one of the most scary sentences that I see new puppy gun dog owners being it's a sentence that if they ask questions the answer that I see that worries me is often something along the lines of it will grow out of it well no it won't grow out of it if it's rewarding to the dog the dog as Sam just touched on the dog will do what is rewarding to the dog whether or not that fits with your lifestyle or not so if somebody interprets that and goes So I can't touch the puppy for the first however many weeks. I've got to let it be a puppy and it will grow out of that. Well, imagine the amount of behaviours that that dog could be doing within that short period of time that it finds self-rewarding and you've then got to try and undo that. So for me, it starts immediately. Absolutely. It starts for me immediately as well. You know, you've got to get that good grounding, that foundation. You've got to start 
the way that you mean to go on. Um, and I think Claire's uh, hit the nail on the head there. A lot of it is misinterpretation. Um, you know, and I hear a lot, certainly a few years ago, maybe not so much now, but people would come to me with a 12 month old dog and say, right, now I've been told that we need to start gun dog training. And I'd say, okay, well, what sort of things have we done so far? And they say, well, we were told not to let it off the lead for the first 12 months. So you're now looking at a dog that is in or just passing adolescence that has no recall, has never experienced anything exciting beyond the length of the three foot lead. And we're trying to teach it some quite advanced skills with next to no foundation. So, you know, I think you've really got to make sure that you do understand what people are saying. It's easy for someone with a lot more knowledge or a lot more experience to say something and not really realise that actually the bare bones of it could be taken completely the wrong way by someone with not as much knowledge or experience as they do. Yeah, and I think sort of it's confusing for people, isn't it? Because there's all these terms that float around on what we should be to our dogs. So are we an owner? Are we a pet parent? Are we a dog guardian? Are we, I forget what some of the others are, a human companion or a caregiver? It's like, we are owners of dogs, aren't we? At the end of the day, let's let's be really blunt about that. They are classed as objects in law <laughs> um, and property. So we own them. And that doesn't mean that we've got to be horrible to them and do nasty things to them and be a dictator, but we need to be that leadership figure to them. Um, if you want to call it, call it a parental role, that's absolutely fine, because actually I think some people parent their children a lot better than they do their dogs. And I think if you applied some of the stuff that you apply to your children, to your dog, the dog would be much better behaved. The children have much clearer boundaries, but the dog seems to get away with a lot more. But it's the same sort of guidance that we need to offer our dogs um, so that we set them up to be sort of well-rounded pups going on to adult dogs as they move through their lives. But yeah, don't get sort of hit up with whether you're a guardian or a companion or anything. You just need to be a, a consistent leadership figure to your dog, whatever you call it. I absolutely agree with you, but I think as well what's happening, all these ideas of like, let the dog alone, let it be a pup, uh, don't do anything with 12 months old, blah, blah. They all came from a very different time when dogs, when pups grew up in kennels. So it was very easy for me and my dad to leave pups alone until they were six months old because they would go out as a group, they would follow the group and the group would train them some of the rules along the way. So they learned boundaries from the rest of the group. The group was staying close, they stayed close, et cetera, et cetera. So we're taking all those old principles, kennel principles, and then we've got this whole new era of, my dog's my baby, and they're like merging into this, well, it's just mess, isn't it? And I think as well, this idea that we are humanizing the dog, like the whole word, like I've written it down, I've spelled it out so I can say it right, but like this whole anthropomorphism, humanizing the dog, a dog is not a human. So what do you think, ladies, is causing us to feel we need to humanize them? I think some of it comes down to, mm, I don't want to be too controversial here, I think, <laughs> but I think I will. <laughs> I think quite a large amount of it comes down to people's perceptions of words. Like you, Gemma just 
touched on the word leadership there, a lot of people will be like, oh, no, you can't use that word or that you can't punish the dog um, or that you can't correct the dog and you must give the dog choice. And, and all of these things, if you think about that terminology and then you put into that perhaps um, some people believe that you have to give dogs choice and that you can't force them to do anything. And, you know, so we're going down this rabbit hole then of very bad training ideas um, instead of just saying to the dog, look, this is how it is. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. Why do we need to make that more difficult than that? And I think then what's happened is that terminology being abused that's how I see it, I think, because I do use the words correction. Um, and I do, you know, say things like that to my clients, because I'm not going to steer away from that, because the minute we steer, steer away from using that kind of terminology, and say that dogs need choice, we're trying to suggest that the dog should have options in its life, like a human has options in, in its life as it grows. Well, that's not how it is for a dog, is it? The dog for its entire life, lives with us, is fed by us, is provided everything it needs by us. It doesn't get to four years of age and go, thanks, mum, I'm moving out now to go and live on my own. You know, it's ridiculous to even think that we can try and use... that. The, the difficulty is sometimes when we use analogies to describe something in training, I even myself will sometimes use an, an analogy that's humanized so that the client understands what it is I'm trying to say. But I'm not saying when I do that, I'm not saying you need to treat your dog like a child because absolutely you don't. It's just that you're trying to get the um, handler, the owner of the dog to understand what it is you're relaying to them. I think you're right. I think, you know, a lot of it is idealism. You know, it would be ideal to be able to go through life and not need to have to train your dog how to react around other dogs or to not have to teach it that of an evening it needs to lie quietly on its bed. But the reality is that that doesn't often happen. You know, we have to educate our dog in those things. Like you said, much like you, uh, Gem, much like you would educate your children, you have to educate your dog as well. Um, you know, and, and part of that education is consequences and corrections. And they are a hugely important part of a dog's upbringing. Um, when we look at the emotional side of things, you know, and the, and the choice especially, does your dog, is your dog able to figure out that actually if it doesn't go out into the garden and relieve itself now while it's chucking it down the rain, does it realise that that's going to be the, its last chance for eight hours while you go out at work? Probably not. Um, so, you know, I think that's where my concerns about the whole choice thing comes in. It's, it's down to us to educate our dogs what it is that's required in any given situation. But whilst ensuring that we're never over the top, we only ask them to do something that we, are, we know they're capable of doing and that it is never, ever harsh or abusive. But I don't understand with this whole thing, right? And it might just me, be me on this. My mum said no to me oh, a million times. It did not destroy me hearing the word no. It was just part and parcel of growing up. 
my mum gave me a bedtime where when I was a little tiny baby, it was in a cot, same as a crate. You're going to settle right for there so that we know you're safe and that you can settle. And then as you got older, you taught a bedtime and you was like, no, no, bedtime means you're staying in your bed. Doesn't mean you're running around your bedroom, it means you're staying in your bed. And all these things that we do with children, we, we've tried to humanise the dogs by like, talking to them and acting like they're a child, but not putting any of these things in place that we do for our children. But also, our children don't have prey drive. They don't have that instinct. My child didn't run off to kill something. So it's like, why are we not seeing that we've completely even mixed up what we're doing in response to them even being a child? Um, You just touched on something that was in my head, just as you said it, which was about the prey drive thing. We're, we're talking about an animal here that has the potential to do us harm, right? <laughs> and we're, and people are humanising them, babyfying them. And I think when you look at the breeds, I'm going to be really honest now, breeds have changed a lot over the last 10 years. You know, you look at, you look at the working Cocker Spaniel, the Labrador, other breeds, and then you've obviously now got all these little mixed breeds that make really nice pets because they're a nice size but actually a lot of them are still very driven like you know take the cockapoo you know you're, you've got a cocker and a, and, a, and a poodle there they're both you know they are both breeds of dogs that want to work you know and you put that together and you don't really always know exactly what you're going to get from that little mix you know so they look really cute and I think this is part of the thing so the breeds are clever, they're smart, they've still got those drives that the the original breeds had, but they look really cute and they look really cuddly. And they are cute and they are cuddly to look at, but it's still a dog. And I think people literally forget that. But even without that, I think the breeds have changed so much over the years. And if you read the description of some of the breeds now, they in all honesty you'd read that and go I wouldn't say that about that breed now it's changed so much and so things don't always get updated as often as they should either in terms of what the breed is and whether they are suitable for a family home or not so there's all of that in the background as well plus then people worrying about you know, giving the dog choice and and treating it like this. And, you know, we have to let the dog, you know, I think the biggest thing is, and I think it is because, and I'm not knocking reward-based training because we are predominantly reward-based trainers. All of us are. And we know that reward-based training will build more desire to do that thing because it's how dogs, it's how dogs learn, you know, the thing that they find rewarding, rewarding, they'll do more of. But when you've got people saying, wait for the dog to do the right thing and reward it, you could be waiting a hell of a long time for that to happen. Um, (laughs) And maybe it won't happen because it might be that the other thing the dog's doing, it deems more rewarding than the thing you're waiting for it to do. So we can't communicate that verbally to a dog and go, oh, you know that thing you're doing well, I'd rather you didn't want to do that and didn't want to chase that squirrel. I'd much rather you came and cuddled on my lap. I mean, the world's gone crazy. I can probably put my hand up and say, I have to fight myself with Meg's little push on. 
to remember it's a dog. And I really do because it has these this haircut that makes it look like a teddy bear. It's cute like a teddy bear. It's got this little like like she trims all his eyes. So he, he just looks like a teddy bear. And he's so cute and he's so lovely. But, and I will be honest, and I'm sure anyone who's got one of these pool crosses will say, like you guys told me before he even came into the house, he can be a little asshole. And like literally, he will go out of his way. His behavior reminds me quite a lot of a terrier. It's like, I'm doing this. This is mine. I'm going here. He's not laid back like the spaniels are, as in when you tell him off, he doesn't take you like a spaniel does, where he goes, oh, sorry, I didn't really mean to do that. He just goes, yeah, whatever you think, I don't give one pop. I try not to make this uh, an explicit podcast. But I think then this whole like social media making these cool crosses, and I think they are the cool crosses, um, seem so lovely, so wonderful, so friendly, so teddy bear like. We see pictures of them wearing jumpers and everything. Do you think we are getting this breakup where we are rem- forgetting that all dogs are dogs because we are making them into these cutie pie things, for want of a better word? I think that's probably part of it. You know, we're seeing more and more dogs that are not looking like dogs. They're looking like a, a teddy bear in clothing or they're looking like a child that's all dressed up. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that's, the primary reason but I certainly think it adds to what is becoming a big problem I think we as a a race uh, as a you know the human race have failed to realize in a lot of respects that the dog actually is happier if it has an understanding of where it sits within your family you know and we see it when when children get older, they try and push boundaries. They try and say, no, I'm, I'm not going to be home at 11 o'clock tonight. Or actually they decide that they're going to walk through the door at half 11 and take the consequences. And to a large extent, it's part of growing up. It's learning what you can and can't do and what you can push and what's just not allowed. And dogs are the same, you know, and through our, I think I speak for all of us here, through our behavioral work, especially we meet a lot of dogs who are attention seekers. They demand bark. They pick and choose what happens when it happens. They choose when the house wakes up. They choose when they get fed because they just push and push and push and nag and nag until someone goes, okay, I'm going to do it because they want peace and quiet for five minutes. But when you actually then start to say to the dog, right, these are the rules. This is what's allowed. This is what's not allowed. This is how it's going to go. And I'm still going to make sure that you get all the basic needs covered and more beyond. You can see a lot of dogs go, oh, thank God. Now I know how life works. And they themselves become much more balanced individuals. You know, they're much happier with life because all of a sudden now, we are more mimicking what it would be like if they were still within their family unit. We're saying, you know, this is the parental role or the leader. These are your siblings. You sit here in the pecking order. Yeah, it's kind of got lost along the way a little bit, hasn't it? And I'm going to sound really old and say that I blame social media quite a lot as well because it almost normalises the fact and almost encourages naughty dogs because you see all these funny little videos of the dog on the table or um, the dog attention seeking with a funny little audio over the top saying, oh, it's been five minutes since I've had attention. 
um, all those little things. And it's, it's almost like, I don't know, dogs, dogs have become worshipped and they can't do any wrong. And it's actually really funny when they do wrong. So nobody sees it as a problem. Um, and it would have only been a few years ago that if somebody had posted a video of a dog on a kitchen table, everyone would have been like, oh my God, that dog's on a kitchen table. Now it's hilarious, apparently. And it gets thousands and thousands of views. Um, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it switched a little bit. And I think that we need to bring dogs back down to being dogs because actually in the long run, they're happier. We know this from working with dogs that we've sort of helped owners put boundaries in. They suddenly become a lot more relaxed and happy to just be in their own skin. Um, which then probably goes on to the, the fact that we're seeing a lot more dogs diagnosed with anxiety issues and all sorts of what we would normally associate with people. Dogs never used to have labels for anxiety when I was a kid anyway. Nobody spoke about dogs being anxious and having to be on medication. Dogs were generally a lot more relaxed and I think that's because they knew where they stood a lot clearer in the family unit. I agree with what you've said exactly there, Gem, and I echo what you say in the, the dogs that I see for behavioural work and even for one-to-ones, when I can see the dog really struggling and they're frustrated and, yes, anxious kind of behaviours, the moment, literally the moment it happens in that visit, I help the owner put structure in and put rules and boundaries in and the moment we do that you see the dogs visibly relax and I I couldn't even count on my hands how many times because it's so many how many times the owner will say to me my dog has never just chilled out like that before like literally that's what they say and that is in Literally, I've been there an hour or whatever. We've talked through everything. We've discussed the behaviour and we start implementing some training and putting some boundaries in. And the dogs just physically and mentally relax and go, okay, why didn't anybody tell me that before? And this is why for me, this podcast is so important because I think we're making dogs' lives so much more difficult and we're putting them through so much more stress anxiety and frustration because we're trying to treat them as something other than a dog which is really unfair because they're a dog you know imagine if we were the one person in a house of dogs and the dogs were trying to treat us like a dog and not a human like okay don't think about that because that's weird actually because I just started thinking about a context in my head don't think about that but it is the same thing a podcast cannot go past, can it, without me saying something strange and then wanting to retract it. But but it is true, isn't it? We have this other species li living in our home and we're trying to treat it like our species and it isn't. And I believe, I genuinely believe that in doing so, we create a lot of the behavioural problems and a lot of the issues that those dogs are having. We are creating them and we can stop it by treating the dog as a dog deserves to be treated, which is as a dog. I ranted there. No, you didn't rant, and I totally agree with you. And I also think as well, as we talk, I don't even think so much as we're treating them like humans. We're treating them like accessories. They like this like thing where we can just not do anything we want with, but we are 
we it's like having um a living breathing creature I, it almost reminds me of as we speak in like i don't know if any of you remember like flight of the navigator that little thing they used to sit on his finger and dance like people who are our age will probably remember maybe they won't but there was like this little creature that sat and everyone wanted one because it was like this amazing creature you could love and and was amazing with big eyes and if you think about it a lot of what we do with our dogs is a bit like that now it's like let's forget it's a dog and let's see it as this new wonderful toy for want of a word and and again we don't do it with any malice we absolutely do it from a place of love but what we don't really really understand is our love is misplaced for them they don't need us there i think we need to keep on remembering they are working animals with specific needs and instincts and i'd love to say we don't do this to cows but now have you seen like the miniature highland cow everybody wants one in the garden and i'd like to say we don't do it to you know like goats but you've got these like tiny little goats people got i think we all want the cute creature I mean, I'm sure my children would be happy if I moved my pony into the house, but maybe myself and my husband, not so much. But, you know, I think it is what you just said there, Joe. our love is misplaced. And I think that does actually kind of sum it up quite well. It's often our perception that, you know, if we don't invite our dog onto the sort of, we don't allow our dog to invite itself onto the sofa next to us, if we just keep it on its bed on the floor. And don't get me wrong, the bed is fluffy, it's cushioned, it's probably a better memory foam mattress than my own mattress is. But because it's on the floor, there's this perception that actually that's not fair for the dog. Whereas if we, like Claire said, remember it's a dog, um, you know, and remember that, it doesn't need to be snuggled up on the sofa with us. You know, next week, are we going to start putting it a glass of wine out next to it so it can really feel like it's one of us? I, I don't know. I Personally, I think that's a really bad idea. Um, there'll be less wine for us to start with. But I think you've, it's often perceived that you're being unkind to your dog if you treat it like a dog. And that's where a lot of these, you know, people's rules have been bent and swayed and, and just completely blown away. And they've allowed their dog to get away with so much more, or they've even invited their dog to become so much more, not realizing that if they look at the bigger picture, it's detrimental to the dog's well-being. I actually think as well, some people treat their dogs better than they treat their children as well. Like I've been around people's houses for behavioural consults and it's the dog is so spoiled that even the kids are pushed out. And again, like just supporting what I've just said, they think they're doing this in the best interest of the dog, but they're ruining the dog. They're destroying the dog. Um, but yeah, I think some people genuinely actually think they're treating their dog really well and actually they're doing treating the, the dog better than the kids but it's worse for the dog not better yeah and I think we can sort of revert to the old adage of you've got to be cruel to be kind and and we used to say that about kids not getting sweets and things um and you I think you can apply that to your dogs and it's not about being nasty cruel but it's about you know what maybe you might perceive as a bit cruel like Sam said sleeping on the floor and and things like that and not maybe giving your dog as much food as it likes I've seen some really obese dogs which waddle around that get fed lots and lots of treats and the owners think that they're doing the right thing but actually in my opinion that's 
that's more neglectful than probably underfeeding your dog. You're giving them far more health problems um, and the dog's visibly unhappy. So yeah, a little bit of cruel to be kind added to the dog world would probably be a good thing. I totally agree with you on that. And I also think, again, contentious, I think owners who set boundaries are actually better owners because the dog has the life the dog should have. So I think gun dogs need more than just obedience because they're a working breed. What do you ladies think we need to give our gun dogs? Like, you know, if you can say this is a perfect owner, what does the perfect owner do? Not that it's perfect, we all know it's not perfect, but like to be a good owner, what does your gun dog breed, your gun dog cross, your hunting dog cross? Because when we're talking, like you said, about poodle crosses, a poodle is a hunting dog. When we're talking about cocker crosses, they are hunting dogs. Labrador crosses, they are hunting dogs. What do these hunting dogs need for us, for us to give them the best life, more than just obedience and love? Uh, so I think the first thing for any breed is understand what that breed was bred to do um, and what the hundreds and hundreds of years of breeding has refined to be excellent in that dog. So taking cockers, for example, and cocker crosses with poodles, they've been bred over hundreds of years to be amazing little hunters that just want to get their noses down and find something. Um, now, nine times out of 10, the average cocker in a home, a pet home, wants them not to do that because that generally leads to them messing off and getting lost or not coming back or whatever. So they're constantly in this battle to stop the dog doing what it was bred to do which just ends up in frustration both sides. Um, so you're not building that bond that we spoke about at the start of this podcast where you're working together. And I'm not saying that everyone with a cocker needs to take it on a shoot and, and do that, but they need to understand what that dog's drives are and have some appreciation of how they can work with those drives to actually form that bond. You don't have to go on a shoot, but hey, why don't we play hunting for tennis balls when we're out? Why don't we try a bit of scent work with our dogs? Why don't we use their brains and do some training that they really desperately want um, and fulfill some of those needs so that we can live harmoniously together and not have this constant like I don't want you to do that but I do. Gun dog training isn't just for people to that want to work their dog on shoots you know especially in the lower levels of our gun dog training so like the beginner level and the novice level and even the intermediate level i would say probably 50 50 split a lot of the time of people that want to go on and work their dog and people that are purely doing it to have an enjoyable hobby with their dog that taps into those innate behaviors that does actually give the dog satisfaction of life as well um and it's not until really it gets to the more advanced and working levels that i find the majority of the clients want to work their dogs or are working their dogs but some of them people are people that had said to me like a year before when they were a beginner and novice they were never going to do that but got hooked on doing it um and so they've enjoyed the journey of the of the gun dog training with their dog so much that they've wanted to then take it further but not everyone has to it cannot be on your radar at all to want to work your dog um but doing gun dog training um and using that as an outlet for your dog and as a hobby for you to enjoy together is an amazing way 
of building a bond with your dog? The one question I probably get so much, and you you touched on it there, is people come and say, if I join, do I have to hunt with my dog? Or my dog doesn't hunt, can I join? And the reality is, like you just said, Claire, yes, you can. And I think probably at least half, we'll have to do a poll, at least half of our ladies have never set foot on a hunt and will never set foot on a hunt. I think we do have these crossovers who never intended to, and then they do, and that's absolutely fabulous to see. But I don't think that people realise there's so many things that you can do in gun dog training that means you never get involved with actually another animal. It's just you, your dog, your dummy, your whistle, and, and you know, and the group is it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think probably the for me, the easiest way of explaining it to a lot of my clients, similar to Claire, that say, you know, I've got a spaniel, I never want to take it on a shooting field, <clears throat> is that essentially all of the training can be applied to them and their dog, but they needn't worry about introducing fur, feather or gunshot if they're absolutely adamant that they're never going to go on a shooting field. The important thing is that they get to build that bond, that relationship with their dog and that partnership through doing things that the dog has got in it, you know, it's, it's in its genetic makeup. So we're utilizing its innate abilities in order to better our partnership. Um, I think where, the, where a lot of people get confused is they hear people say, your dog needs a job. And then they sort of go, but I don't want to take it out on the shooting field or I don't want to teach it to scent mark or scent trail or anything like that. But when we say or when trainers say your dog needs a job, it doesn't mean that you have to follow through and actually compete it or work it in that field. It just means essentially you've got to give it something to get its head stuck into in order then to try and reduce the chances of it throwing up behavioural issues or training issues back down the line. Well, ladies, as always, this has been a fantastic podcast. I think we've touched on some wonderful topics and some real like key takeaways for our listeners to think about. And certainly things around the idea of terminology abuse. And that's what it is. I think Claire said it. It's, it's an absolutely... A perfect way of describing what's happening at the moment. You know, we talk all the time about that you need to be the leader for your dog, as Sam's touched on, and you need to be a leader for your dog that your dog looks up to, and you need to embrace that. There is nothing wrong with guiding your dog the same way as the people, you know, your parents, your grandparents, whoever guided you, guided you from, you know, being a child to being an adult. We need to do the same for for our dogs. Um, if you want to get personal advice or want to go more into the topic, please join our uh, LWDG membership. Trust us, it's a friend who gets the most helpful place out there for people who are really serious about doing the best for their gun dogs. And like Sam just says, you do not need to worry about introducing fur, feather, or shot. If that's somewhere you don't want to go, Sam, I'm going to keep that and like memorize that line to, to my mind. Uh, if something you don't want to do, you don't have to do it. You will still get apps absolute help um to wrap this up ladies is there any other sort of like top tips we can give people for uh making sure they can continue to love and enjoy their gun dog or the gun dog cross but also be a good owner to them common sense use your common sense if you hear something or read something 
and it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. Remember, educating your dog should never be abusive or harmful. However, you do need to understand your breed and give it education to get through life. And you do need to set your rules and boundaries and do an activity with your dog um, that will fulfill its needs as a breed. Fantastic. So thank you um, to our experts. As always, we've been incredible. We are grateful beyond belief to have you all you make every single day easier for all of our members um so if you're listening and you're ready to be the best owner and trainer you can be for your gun dog just join us we can do this together until next time keep training keep enjoying your dog and we'll see you all next week that's it for today's episode a massive thank you for tuning in don't forget to head over to the lwdg and sign up for our membership Get access to expert-led training, a wonderfully supportive community, and the resources you need to become a confident and skilled gun dog trainer. Let's take this journey together, because no woman should have to train her gun dog alone. We'll see you all next week.